everyone, and welcome to the first Why Climate podcast. My name is Andrew Holloway, and this podcast series has been brought to you by the New Brunswick Lung Association. And we're lucky enough to have our first ever podcast guest, Dr. Lem, with PARX. Uh, and with that, because we're going to try and keep this podcasting series quick and to the point, we're going to jump right into the questions. So good afternoon in Atlanta, Canada. Good morning to you out on the West Coast, Dr. Lam. Uh, who are you and what do you do? Hi, Andrew. It's great to be here and I'm honored to be the first. I didn't realize I would be the first. Um, I am Dr. Melissa Lem and I'm a family physician based on the unceded and traditional territories of the Musqueam, Squamish and tsleil nations, otherwise known as Vancouver on the West Coast of British Columbia. And I have a practice here in Vancouver. I also do rural work in Northern Canada and within BC. And I'm also director of park prescriptions for the BC Park Foundation. And I don't know, a couple other things if you wanna know, I'm president elect of the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment and love teaching medical learners as a clinical assistant professor at the University of British Columbia. You just made me feel very lazy with three sentences. <laughs> so I guess then what started you on your on your journey that led you to work with PARX? If we take this back really far, my connection to nature began in childhood. I grew up in a majority white neighborhood in the suburbs of Toronto and didn't feel like I belonged. I would be teased on the school ground, even called names on the sidewalk because I looked different from most of the people that I grew up with in the community where I grew up with. But I found in my father's traditional Chinese garden with, with Chinese vegetables in the park down the street, in the trees and the bushes and green spaces in the schoolyard where I felt most like myself and I felt the safest. And then if you fast forward through my, my life as a youth, connecting to nature was really important. Through that, I um, went on camping trips with my family frequently when I was young. And then all the way forward to my first job as, uh, as a practicing physician, I was a rural family physician in Northern BC where I could literally see mountains out my, uh, out my living room window with bears walking across my driveway. And the work was really intense, but I loved it. And I think a big part of that was because I was surrounded by nature all the time to de-stress in. And then after a year or two working there, I moved back to Toronto for family reasons and landed basically in the middle of the city um, where my view was suddenly concrete and glass and the sound instead of wind in the trees was streetcars rumbling by underneath my window. And I had a moment, I still remember where I was looking out my window, looking at this tiny square sky with the CN tower in it and thinking, why do I feel so stressed? This work is far easier. I'm not running the emergency department. I'm not delivering babies in the middle of the night, but I feel stressed out. And so I thought, do you know what I think I'm missing? I think I'm missing nature. And as any kind of nerdy evidence-based healthcare professional, I thought, okay, wait, this intuitive sense I have that nature is good for me can't be true unless it's backed up by randomized controlled trials. And so I sat down at my computer, I did a lit review and, and study after study popped up describing the research-backed health benefits of nature. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is something I never learned in medical school. I have not heard my colleagues talking about this. I need to make this my mission to to communicate this to the public and to my colleagues and convince them that nature should be essential to our well-being and it should be recommended just like exercise, diet, and um, and a healthy sleep at maintaining a healthy lifestyle. And then again, fast forward to uh, to connecting with the BC Parks Foundation 
In 2018, um, I became director of their park prescription program because they had the same idea as I did to launch a nature prescription initiative. I became director in 2019, and then we launched park prescriptions in 2020, and we're just growing and growing, including in Atlantic Canada and elsewhere in Canada, and are so proud of the successes we've had so far. Yeah, it is kind of amazing how I, I'm of that age, slowly approaching 40, where most of my friends for various reasons sort of splintered from Halifax where I grew up but whenever we do manage to get back together we all go to the there's this one beach outside of Dartmouth called Lawrencetown and for all of us that is like our happy place it is the one spot where no matter how bad it is or what the weather's like I'm there if I'm home visiting family in the January jumping in the ocean because it's just where I feel the most centered I guess you could say and most people I could find have that they have that point of inflection like whether it's the mountains for you or the ocean or whatever that looks like, it's just that point in nature where it is their sort of happy place or centering place more than anything. Mm -hmm. That I love that because it really speaks to how we can really feel the sense of connection to place when we connect to nature and how we grow to love those spaces and want to protect them. But I think we might be talking about that a little more. We are. Yeah. So this sort of leads slightly into the next question, which is why is it important for physicians or anyone who works in public health to think about environment and then with that climate change more as we move forward the truth is that what we do in the healthcare system is only responsible for about 20 to 25 percent of our overall health status and so if you think about that what we do in our offices and in hospitals although it's really important and i love my job the vast majority of what keeps my patients healthy or makes them sick doesn't happen in our healthcare facilities and in our systems. So it's really important for us to look beyond that. And if you think about our planet as kind of the a healthy planet as the ultimate healthcare system, you think about the fact that we need healthy soil, um, clean water, clean air, and healthy ecosystems where animals can thrive and plants can thrive to, to sustain the social structures that then give rise to different determinants of health, like housing, like education, like different ways we can connect to each other socially. And then that in turn gives rise to our healthcare system because it's quite a complex structure if you think about it. There are lots of moving parts that, that allow us to deliver health. But when those systems start breaking down, when the planet is no longer a healthy place for us to sustain those different structures, then we can't deliver healthcare in an effective way. So arguably advocating for for action on climate change outside of our offices could perhaps have even more of an impact on our patient and community health than what we do in our healthcare structures themselves. Yeah, and I mean, everyone is tired of talking about COVID, but you, we, I think everyone in their own way experienced that cut off from so just something as simple as social interaction through COVID where we all kind of forgot how much of that alone played in a role in our mental health and everything else. Or, for us here in New Brunswick, there were points where we couldn't enter parks. And for me as an avid mountain biker, I would, I didn't know what to do with myself during the spring. I was just sitting here going like, this is going to get worse before it gets better. And it, it's all those things that keep us going. As you said, part of those determinative health plays such a critical role in our overall well-being. Mm -hmm. And that kind of slides then into why should parks or just being in nature be part of someone's health treatment prescription, being in nature, being part of this sort of treatment of health? This is a question that I get a lot is why prescribe nature? Why not just either recommend it or people have this intuitive sense that it's good for them? Why would you need a healthcare professional to prescribe it? 
And the reason is because it really formalizes that recommendation. There is evidence showing, mainly through the exercise prescription literature, because it's a bit older, showing that when you write something down, when a trusted healthcare professional writes something down and formalizes it, that significantly increases the patient's motivation to actually carry out that recommendation. And so I think this also speaks to how much trust people have in, in health professionals. I don't want to honk my own horn, but there are <laughs> surveys that happen globally every year that look at who are the most trusted messengers, who are the most trusted professionals, and consistently nurses, doctors, and other health professionals come out on the very top of that list. So when someone you really trust, who's recommending something that you intuitively feel is good for you, and writes it down on a piece of paper and hands it to you so you remember and underlines it, I think that makes that recommendation very powerful. And we like to say at the BC Parks Foundation and with PARX that we want nature to become the fourth pillar of health, just as important as healthy diet, exercise, and sleep at maintaining health. I love that idea, like it becoming the fourth pillar. And it is very true. I was diagnosed with type one diabetes when I was 19. And my first endocrinologist, she was lovely, but I'm still running to not disappoint her because she told me I could do it. And I'm, I'm 21 years removed from it, but I'm still like, no, 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 Dr. Roy, I'm not going to disappoint her. She's good. <laughs> and it is very much sort of ingrained in us to sort of listen to health professionals. Um, so then I guess that sort of slides into what are the actual benefits or aspects to someone's overall health when they spend time in nature? Andrew, I think the better question is what aren't the benefits to someone's <laughs> overall health when they spend time in nature? There's this massive body of evidence that's several decades deep, hundreds of studies deep as well, that speak to these benefits. And from chronic diseases like diabetes, high blood pressure, cholesterol issues, to prenatal outcomes, um, to development in kids, to ADHD, mental health outcomes like depression and anxiety. This research tells us that spending time in nature is one of the best things that we can do for our health. And it really, I think a lot of people also ask the question, how, how is this happening? You know, is it that people are getting outside and exercising? Is it, what is it? And I think a big reason is because of the reduction in stress that we see. There are lots of studies showing that cortisol levels drop when you spend time in nature. And so when you drop stress, this reduces inflammation in our bodies and then also reduces a whole bunch of different diseases that I talked about that uh, mm. stress exacerbates. And there are other things about nature that are good for our bodies as well. There is volatile organic compound called phytoncides that trees and plants release that when you breathe them in, actually boost your immune system by increasing the uh, number of immunoproteins and boosting the, the activity of natural killer cells within your body. And this has been demonstrated in vitro and also in living experiments with real humans. And so there are so many different ways that listening to or looking at nature or smelling nature can improve our health. And that really plays out in the literature base. Yeah, that's incredible. We I was lucky enough to have a mentor who worked in parks and in New Brunswick, he was Mr. Parks. And he always said, just go hug a tree, not in a facetious way, literally just go hug a tree. They'll listen to your problems and you'll be outside. And he would run programs with little elementary school kids and you'd see a whole school of kids hugging a tree, telling them the things they were worried and then running off into the woods. And it was one of the most endearing things I've ever been lucky enough to be a part of. So it is kind of amazing. 
I love that so, story. And yeah. hugging trees, by the way, also help you touch different healthy bacteria that then colonize our skin. And there is there are studies showing that kids who who are touching and in soil more and, and colonizing themselves with that healthy bacteria have fewer allergies and healthier immune systems. Oh man, I should be invincible with the amount of mud I ate as a kid then. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of then leads into sort of the thing that is on a lot of people's minds, which is how do you see climate change impacting our health? I don't only see climate change impacting our health. I, I feel it and I can smell it as well here on the West coast of BC. So in 2021, this was the year of climate disasters here. Um, we had record breaking heat that made world news that killed over 600 people within the space of a couple of weeks, the heat dome. And we mm -hmm. know that that was a one in 1000 year event that was made 150 times more likely with climate change. And then hard on the heels of that, it was followed by devastating wildfires that burned Lytton, BC to the ground where a heat record was hit. And then those, those wildfires released smoke that then blanketed the rest of BC and the lower mainland. And we know that this um, worsens chronic diseases like heart disease, lung disease, and diabetes and worsens people's mental health. And we've seen these record-breaking wildfires happen year after year since 2017. That, that term record-breaking is almost getting old, which is kind of terrible, I think. Mm -hmm. And then after um, the smoke and the wildfires and the heat, we thought, okay, winter time is coming. It's it's time for us to, to take a step back and relax from all these climate disasters. But then we had the severe flooding that happened through the late fall and the winter that uh, re resulted in food insecurity because it killed thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of livestock and animals um, in in the lower mainland and in the Fraser Valley, it disrupted medical systems. It actually prevented people from being able to access dialysis. And in fact, disrupted the delivery of vaccines to uh, to the West Coast because of, because of the flooding. The, the trucks literally couldn't get through with the vaccines. And then we saw an extreme cold snap after that. So really it's it's been epic, um, the, the climate disasters that we've seen on the West Coast. And of course, all of this is increasing people's awareness and making them worried about the future and increasing eco-anxiety. So there are all sorts of different ways that climate change is impacting our health in a real way right now. Yeah, and it's not, while mainland Vancouver is quite a distance away, we, uh, in our office, we actually run, help run a national PM 2.5 sensor program, which essentially is air quality monitoring with sort of a citizen science brigade and some federal sites. And we could literally watch it roll across the country and then watch sort of overlay the data of cases of asthma occurring in the emergency room. So while it was much worse in BC, it still had a sort of roll on effect across the entire country as those wildfires burned. It was mm -hmm. a, the weirdest set of data I've ever had to sort of look at and be like, this is just sad and terrible. Mm -hmm, exactly. And you can't, in many cases, I mean, sometimes you can see that air pollution, but you can't always. So the air pollution that, for example, climate change and wildfire smoke is causing is harming us, even though we don't necessarily see it. Um, and then the fossil fuels that are burned that, that kill one in five people around the world also release that PM 2.5 that's causing significant health issues. So it's just... Anyway, it's it's uh, it's not the greatest situation that we're in, but I think there are definitely things we can do to, to take action on it. 100%. So that kind of slides into what is the biggest challenge uh, facing you in your role with PRX or even as a physician around climate and sort of uh, the environment? 
I think if you ask most of us this question, any climate advocate, it is time and energy and being able to prioritize. I think any parent actually that you ask this question, mm -hmm. I'm the parent of a seven-year-old, always the question is everything seems so important. Everything seems so critical. And how do you decide what's the most important thing? I think I mentioned at the beginning, I'm also president-elect of the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment. So I'm not only doing work as a parent and physician and on BC Parks Foundation work, but also with this national physician organization. And it's it's kind of ironic because I always talk about how important it is to get outside into nature um, to improve your health, but I'm finding it difficult to do myself these days, to be honest, because of all the demands on my time. But I think if we, if we recognize that self-care should be a priority as well, so we'll have the energy and we'll have the motivation to con continue this work for the long term, then that makes it easier for us to give ourselves permission to unplug, take a break, and spend more time outside and with people we love to make sure that we're as healthy as we can be too. Yeah, for me, it's a, a, not that I'm a massive manager of people yet, uh, but it's that sort of like we've sort of over COVID realized like if you're the old adage when you'd go to work sick and you know you'd fight through it. Now people are like, no, if I have a cold, I'm gonna stay home. I hope we get to the point where that same sort of priority on whether it's a walk in a park, going for a bike ride, whatever it looks like for you to be in nature becomes that sort of same sort of level of priority that like there will always be work on your desk at your practice, wherever anyone is working, listening to this, but we don't have, you know, an infinite amount of time to then go out and do something good for our health in nature. At least that's the way I'm hoping will shape the future, I say. I absolutely agreed, Andrew. And I think a lot of us almost in a way have a hero complex. We think if we don't do this thing, everything's going to fall apart. For most of us, that's not the case. We have teams yeah. that we work with. We have other people who are working on these files as well. And so I think it's so important to give ourselves permission to step back every now and then to recharge. And that may lead into sort of the one of the last few questions we have today is what is the one thing you wish the public and or your colleagues knew about the connection between nature and health that they currently don't know or don't really understand in its depth? I want them to know that prescribing nature can have a real impact and advocating for more natures in our cities is putting climate justice into action through a number of ways. So with our program, we were really happy to announce a collaboration with Parks Canada in early 2022, where prescribers can now prescribe free Parks Canada discovery passes, annual passes that get patients who hold them into any Parks Canada administered site across the country. And then we're also forming partnerships with different outdoor organizations and experience providers like botanical gardens, for example, um, to further reduce barriers to nature access for people who might not live close to national parks. And we've been in conversation with transit organizations too and transportation organizations to reduce that barrier to nature access as well. And then one other thing I think people don't appreciate enough is how important green space and street trees are in, in urban health. So an independent analysis of the heat dome showed that along with being elderly, having chronic disease, being isolated and not having intercooling was that the density and proximity to green space in uh, near that person's living space was actually also associated with mortality. So green space is an equity issue. It's not just a nice to have, it's a must have as mm -hmm. our cities heat up to reduce that urban heat island effect and make sure that people stay healthy and safe into the future. 
Yeah, I am lucky living in Fredericton. I immigrated here, not originally being to the city, but my backyard has about a 150 foot, 100 year old tree. And my wife and I just being sort of weird little data nerds, we track the temperature difference between our front yard and our backyard. And there's usually on a hot day like today where it's 37 outside, there's almost a 10 degree difference just with the one giant tree in our backyard. And, and Fredericton as a whole is very tree covered, like it, the city takes a lot of pride in it, but you do notice it on those super hot days, how much cooler it can be just in sort of well canopied areas. That is so interesting, Andrew. You know, my jaw was kind of dropping when you said 10 degrees, even though I know this, like even yeah. though I know that, for example, surface temperatures can be up to 25 degrees cooler in shaded areas in cities versus not the fact that it can be from a front yard to a backyard is incredible. And yeah, I don't get me wrong in the fall when I'm breaking this thing, it drives me up the wall because <laughs> I think my average is 27 bags of leaves currently, but uh, yeah, no, it is, it is a massive, massive thing. And even like where in Fredericton, it's, it's a municipal law that they don't cut down the trees on people's property. So almost every street has some degree of tree covering to it as a whole. It's very, very rare in Fredericton to have a non-tree-laden street in everything outside of a couple of new developments. That is healthy public policy in action. I wish more yeah. of our cities had that same bylaw. I, I think it was nature of size more than anything. They could control it slightly better. Um, so this is the last sort of serious question of the day. What is the one question you wish I asked during this interview that I didn't, and how would you respond? The question would be, how can prescribing nature improve planetary health? And in case people aren't familiar with the term, one definition is that planetary health is the health of human civilization and the state of the natural systems on which it depends. And there is research showing that people who are more connected to nature across the lifespan engage in more pro-environmental behaviors that go beyond just conservation, because it makes sense that we protect what we love, but they tend to conserve more energy. They tend to recycle more. They tend to vote for climate advocates and engage in more other forms of climate action. So I like to think that every time I or one of my colleagues prescribes nature through our program and connects patients more deeply to nature that we're doing something for the planet at the same time. And there's also research from the UN Environment Program that says that if we fully embrace nature-based solutions for climate change, that focus on restoring and expanding nature while dealing with human issues at the same time, that this could get us over 30% of the way to our 2030 Paris Agreement carbon emissions targets. And right now mm. around the world, there are only about 5% of investments in nature-based solutions for climate change. And when you think about that 30% potential and how trusted healthcare professionals recommending more nature, prescribing more nature could shift societal opinion and help close that gap, I found that I find that really exciting that we can do something that's going to tangibly improve our patient's health and potentially improve the health of the planet at the same time. And it is one of those challenges, like uh, both my parents immigrated from different parts of the United Kingdom. And my dad's line about Canada, and he is what I would call a seven-year-old sort of reluctant environmentalist, like he's not hard, but he he sees the sort of future for his grandchildren more than anything. And he always said, it's such a hard sell in Canada because we are so big and so vast and we have so much space. Like, you know, in, in Atlanta, Canada, I can throw a stone and not hit anyone once I sort of leave the city centers. Um, for us to really see the sort of impact of climate change and through our conversations, I've been saying I've been involved in this for you know almost 20 years now. It wasn't until I was lucky enough to travel to Indonesia where I saw 
a shopper's drug mart and a Loblaws bag on the other side of the world that it kind of like punched me in the face how big of a problem this actually is and how we have to have unique solutions to solve this. It can't just be cut driving my car down. There's got to be more to it than just that. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. So with our final question that I'm going to be asking everyone I interview over this series is if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? I'd like to end on a fun note. So I want to tell you something. I fell in love with the West coast of Canada after grade 12 in high school, when I came out to Vancouver, in fact, and stayed at UBC for this summer camp called Shad Valley. And I was just gobsmacked by the massive trees, by the massive banana slugs that I'd never seen in <laughs> Ontario, um, by the huge ocean and by the mountains. Everything was so big on the West Coast. And I thought, when I grow up, I want to I want to live here. This is where I want to raise my family and work. Mm. And so I'm back. I made it back. You made to it to where you want to be. I know exactly. <laughs> so I'm exactly where I want to be. I'm I'm close to a lot of um, different beautiful natural areas. There are lots of different opportunities within Vancouver to do other things outside of natural things, and it's a great place to raise a family. So I've I've really fulfilled my childhood dream living here in BC, in Vancouver again. Vancouver is gorgeous. I've been lucky enough to be there a couple of times, and I always say like. Yeah, just the idea of like sort of riding my mountain bike to the ski hill and then finishing skiing all day and riding my mountain bike home is kind of the dream. So mm -hmm. it is it is it is one of like the Rockies are absolutely gorgeous and there is no arguing that point whatsoever. Yeah, it, I find it really makes you feel aware of your place in the world, like it makes mm -hmm. you feel connected, but also small at the same time. And for me, anyway, it really inspires me looking every day at the beautiful landscapes and, and the water and the people who live here inspires me to, to want to protect all of it. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Dr. Lem, for taking the time to talk to us. I'm going to include in the show notes of this podcast all the information on PRX and how to reach out to the organization if anyone is interested to, to partner with you or work with you. Um, so with that, thank you so much again for taking the time just by your introduction, how busy you are. I'm lucky to have stolen these 30 minutes and I want to thank everyone and have a great day. It was my pleasure, Andrew. Thanks for inviting me on. <laughs>